Hello! You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout the city of brotherly love. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7 p.m., held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I am speaking with Angel Rodriguez, who is the Senior Vice President of Land Services at PHDC and Executive Director of the Philadelphia Land Bank. We'll be discussing how to acquire city-owned property. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com media. So um, let's go ahead and get started, and uh, I'm going to introduce Angel Rodriguez. Angel, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Great. So we have a lot to cover, and um, I, I know it's quite a, a big topic, so, so um, let's go ahead and jump right into it, and maybe you can tell us just some brief history of the land bank and, and tell me a little bit about what city-owned property is. Okay, um, so history of the land bank. A couple of milestones that uh, are significant dates that everybody should be aware of with the land bank. Um, The land bank in Pennsylvania or the Land Bank Act was authorized uh, through the PA state legislature in 2012. Uh, It was then um, followed up by local legislation that was introduced by Councilwoman uh, Quinona Sanchez, Darrell, uh, Council President Clark, um, Councilman Jones, and then Councilman Green. It was passed unanimously by the city council, and uh, then Mayor Nutter signed it and uh, signed it into uh, law, basically in December 2013. And under for everybody who likes to read Philadelphia Code, that's covered under uh, Section 16700 which governs the, the land bank. A um, couple of other items that are, it's really important to understand about the land bank and also um, the land bank's history and, and getting, up, getting it up to speed and operating. So the first board of directors was, um, passed, was inaugurated in December of 2014. So, we had the legislation, state level legislation in 2012, 2013. We had city legislation, which is required by the Land Bank Act. Um, then you have your first board in 2014, um, which was just a uh, board to talk about how to get the land bank up and running. Then you had its first um, regular board was appointed in September of 2016. Um, also, there was a strategic plan that was adopted prior to that board um, in 2015. Now, one thing a lot of people do not recognize um, or understand is that you have the enabling legislation both, both on the state level, but also on the municipal level that was passed. There's also another agreement that has to be 
um, authorized by the city's administration for the land bank to act. Um, and that would be the uh, memorandum of understanding between the city's revenue department, the school district of Philadelphia, and the, the land bank. So the school district of Philadelphia and the revenue department represent the two taxing agencies in Philadelphia County. So what makes a, a land bank unique other than a redevelopment authority is that the land bank has what's considered a priority bid. So we can um, exercise that priority bid in sheriff sales. And in essence, no one can enter a counter bid after we've identified a property we wish to acquire. Um, so without that, um, without that piece of legislation, really the, the, what makes the, the value add of having a land bank doesn't really exist. That didn't get um, executed. That MOU wasn't executed until October of 2017. So there's a huge gap between the state legislation, city legislation in 2013, and then you got to go move to 2017 before the land bank could actually um, acquire properties. You have about five years in between. Um, also, I was hired one month before that MOU was executed. I was hired on in September of 2017. Um, so in a lot of ways, people, you know, during that time period, the land bank was transferring properties. There were a lot of, uh, there were over 1,200 to 2000 interagency transfers that were occurring um, during that time period. Um, I wanna say 1200 actually. Um, so the other thing that was happening is that the land bank and most of your jumpstart uh, um, you know, um, alumnus or, or students will, will, will appreciate this. The land bank is a quasi governmental entity um, so that means you have a board, it exists as an entity, but it didn't have staff. Um, so the staff didn't really come on board um, and that agreement wasn't really um, approved until 2017 as well. So we had executive staff. Um, I actually am the sixth um, executive director of the land bank in as many years. I'm probably, I, am, I believe I'm the longest serving executive director of the land bank uh, currently. I'm at third year now. Um, but there were a lot of pieces with the land bank that um, people did not understand, a lot of legislative and, and legal issues. The land bank for the, for the most part really is a startup um, and didn't really start being able to act um, the way it should until 2017. Gotcha, so it sounds like it kind of went, you know, here and then there's a plateau and then a plateau and it kind of slowly pieced together. Uh, where is that now? Where are we at in terms of development in, in 2020? Is it fully up and running or is there still work to be done? Uh, well, uh, the first 2017, 2018, 2019, we did receive general fund allocations. We were uh, acquiring properties and disposing of properties. Um, in terms of the dispositions, we've been ratcheting up every year. Um, unfortunately, this year, because of COVID, um, we, you know, when the pandemic hit, uh, that was in, you know, really, we went out of the, we had to stop operating in the office in March of 20, 2019, uh, 2020, sorry. Um, so we, and also Sheriff's Dale stopped. So our, our 
we had about over a hundred properties identified for share of sale acquisition, which we weren't able to do. Um, share of sales have not resumed. They probably won't resume until 2021. Um, the other item that happened is because of the loss of revenue citywide, the land bank was, the land bank's general is funded out of the general fund. So for fiscal year 21, we did not receive an allocation. So um, basically on whatever, you know, revenues or dollars we had left over from fiscal year 20, we're, that's what we're operating off of. So for this year, fiscal year 21, we cannot acquire um, any, any new properties. Um, as far as dispositions, we're focusing on dispositions uh, and settlements um, and trying to get more properties out the door. Okay, great. Um, so, so it sounds like the future of the land bank is kind of just to recover from the seven months of uncertainty and, and get things back up and running again. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's going to be a, a, you know, we'll see what, ha what, what the future holds in terms of the general fund and where we're at in terms of every year we have to um, really advocate for general fund allocations for, for, you know, acquisitions and operating. Gotcha. So, so uh, before we get into the application process, I just want to get some context on the size of the land bank. You know, how many properties comprise it and, and what is the average valuation of those properties? Is there a number you can give us? Um, I couldn't really give you a valuation mm -hmm. um, and I'll get into that. But we, uh, so another thing happened in, in 2020, uh, well, 2019, actually, we had a consolidation. So uh, it's really not uh, just the land bank. So uh, I know you introduced me as having, you know, title of senior vice president for land for PHDC. Um, land operations were consolidated. So it, we have the land bank inventory, the redevelopment authorities inventory, and we also manage the surplus land for uh, the Department of Public Property. Now there's a difference. The city has active land that they, you know, like parking lots, schools, libraries, and all of that. And then they have surplus residential land, um, which we manage for the commissioner of public property. All total, we have approximately um, 8,000 properties in our inventory that we have. So you would call that uh, publicly held inventory or city inventory. So if anybody was looking to acquire a property, it wouldn't really matter um, what agency um, it would be in, uh, that would be an internal matter for me to, to manage. So it could be a mix of uh, redevelopment authority properties and land bank properties. Mm -hmm. And let's throw in a city property. I would have to follow a couple of different steps and approvals, but it really wouldn't matter to the person applying. Um, it, the only where, where the only issue would come in as to timing of disposition or settlement because some of the steps, uh, some properties are much more involved than others. Gotcha. Okay, thanks. No um, so next up, let's, let's talk about the application process. I'm sure this is what most people in the, the call here are most excited to, to hear about. Um, so maybe sure. just give us, you know, from, from the very beginning, you know, you hear about city-owned property, what, what, what person or what way should someone look to, to kind of get started with the whole process? Uh, I think the, the first thing uh, people need to understand is that there are two types of uh, dispositions. So I'm going to use the term disposition, which means selling property. So I dispose of a property to somebody in the public. 
Um, and that could be an individual, uh, you know, a corporation, you know, developers represented by a corporation, a nonprofit, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit. So there are two types. So the first is by default, and basically our standard um, operating procedure is that everything is supposed to be sold via a competitive sale. Um, it's either a competitive sale with no requirements, which we do have on our website, and that is phdcphila.org. Um, you can go to the land section. Well, so what do you mean about competitive sale? What, are, what Competitive in terms of what? So a competitive sale basically is something we post. So if you want a property and say you want to develop it for market rate, I have to actually post it for 30 days on our website and allow anyone and everyone to apply an opportunity to apply. And that's actually part of code. And also uh, the mayor had issued a memorandum in terms of stating that we have to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's covered under competitive sales, which is usually characterized as one parcel or two parcels that are adjacent that we're going to sell. Um, you can apply for it. We're not requiring a level of affordability. Um, and we'll take whatever application, we'll score it and run it through the process and then if we accept the application, we'll sell it um, to that person. Um, again, there's no requirement for affordability. And then you have the request for proposals, which are typically um, characterized by as bundles of properties. Mm -hmm. So we'll say, we'll put out like say, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 parcels in a geographic area, typically within a two block radius. And we'll stipulate a certain percentage of the units created from this um, RFP will have to be affordable. And we'll, we'll determine what that level of affordability is. Uh, affordability in the land bank legislation is, uh, that was just passed in 2020, is 120% of AMI all the way down to 30. Mm -hmm. Now, um, just to put that in context for your, your um, listeners, the median income or 100% of AMI in the Philadelphia MSA as per HUD, it's 96,600. So 120% of AMI is, what you're looking at is about 116,000 uh, a year. You start getting into like 80% is around 74,000 or 75,000. These are approximations. You know, 60% is around 50, 56. And then you start getting into 30%, which is about 32, 35,000 a year. Um, so depending on the area, you know, we'll set these stipulations as to what we're looking for. So those are competitive sales. How that process goes is we have to post it for 30 days. We take every, you know, whatever is left, whatever comes in, we'll do a review and then we'll process that. Now, it just it, what's important for your um, listeners to understand is that there is another way to apply for land that does not require us to do a competitive sale. So a person can ask me, can I, you know, purchase this property? I want to build a market rate property. At that point, I have to tell them, no, you have to wait for me to post it up as competitive sale. Right. If a developer comes to me and says, I'd like to do a non-competitive disposition, you have to qualify to get into a non you know, to be considered a non-competitive disposition. So for non-competitive dispositions, um, what there are certain categories. 
So a side or rear yard application where an individual is the owner occupant of a property and their name's on the deed, if the city owns a property to the side or to the rear, they can submit an application and that's considered a, non, a non-competitive disposition. They can also, if you're trying to do a community garden or open space and you are a non-for-profit or a state, um, an unincorporated non-for-profit, we can dispose to that organization. So that could, you know, there is no residency requirement. It could be a bundle of properties. It could already be used as a community garden. And we're trying to, um, for lack of a better term, legalize it, like transfer title to this community group. The reason why we talk about the corporate structure is that I have to dispose of the land to some, to an entity, mm-hmm. right? Um, because it is a legal transaction. Um, in which case anybody can, you know, apply for that. Then you have land for business expansion. So if you're a property owner and you're running your business out of your property um, and you want to expand your business if we own property within a thousand square feet, uh, a thousand square foot radius of your property, which is a good, you know, it's probably like a, a city block radius from wherever, um, we can actually dispose of property to you through a non-competitive process. The next one is an assemblage. Say you've actually purchased properties, uh, purchased land, and we own the, the adjacent parcel. Um, we can we can, we'll, we'll treat that as long as you own 50% of the land for the total uh, development proposal, that's considered a non, uh, non-competitive non uh, disposition. Then you have proposing land for community uses. So a lot of people wanna do, you know, community centers, job training centers, schools, anything like that, you could also propose a development um, and that would be considered non, uh, non-competitive. The other piece, which is new under the new 2020 legislation, is that you can do you can propose an affordable housing project. Now there are nonprofits that you can either do 100% of affordable. Um, that typically is characterized by, you know, a low income housing tax credit or something that's funded by Federal Home Loan Bank, or uh, which is new, which opens it up to for profit developers. You can propose an affordable um, project as long as 51% of the units produced are affordable, and which allows you to pr- put a proposal together. It could be, so to give you an example, you can identify 10 lots within an, an area and you're saying, okay, I want these 10 lots and 51% of the, the properties are gonna be affordable. That means six, six out of the 10 have to be affordable. Um, and you would have to do that. Now, uh, just so, and I'm, I assume you covered this in your Jumpstart program, you, developers really have to pay attention to the zoning. Yes. All right. So sure. an RM1 means that you could do units. So remember I, I said the, re, the requirement is, is the number of units yielded. So if you have four parcels that are RM1, and let's say you could do 12, right? That's seven units. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's RSA five, you're talking about home ownership and single units. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have to do six affordable houses. 
Um, again, the other thing that uh, they should understand is that you can apply for a rental project. So if your business model is to buy and hold and you want to rent it, uh, you can do that. If you want to do home ownership, you can also do that. Um, the application is structured, so it depends on the sophistication of the applicant. Gotcha. Um, so so go ahead. Sounds like the, the first step is to kind of decide which avenue you're going to go down, competitive or non-competitive. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I misunderstood, but competitive sounds like it's, it's your go-to for for-profit businesses and residential projects or, or, or sort of market rate residential and then non-competitive mm -hmm. else. Is that right? Uh, true, but uh, admittedly, it's not a high volume. Gotcha. Which, so it, say again? Which is not a high volume. Uh, competitive sales and RFPs. It's not like we're constantly posting RFPs right. um, or competitive sales. Uh, the reason why we changed the legislation was to allow people um, to do their homework and submit an application to us. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's much more of a, a uh, it, 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 it's much more uh, conducive to that, that self-starter, that, um, you know, developer who is well-versed in doing their homework, uh, can put together a pro forma, uh, can sit there, understand the regulations and know what their capacity is, and really just kind of put, put together an application, submit it. Uh, the other thing is it meets our agenda item. There is a, such a need for affordable housing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when you propose an affordable housing project, the other thing that um, all developers are available is that we can discount the acquisition price. Mm -hmm. So once, you, once you're in that, that milieu and in that group, we then can consider, uh, you know, discounting the, the price of the land. Um, and, and what I'll say to that is that it really is incumbent on the developer when they put together their pro forma to explain why they need that discount. And what we'll do on our end in looking at it is to look at what are we getting for it? So I'll, I'll give you an example of something that we wouldn't really appreciate or approve mm -hmm. is if you gave me like 20 SROs mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, and you said, oh, we're, we're tackling families. Mm -hmm. You know, families need bedrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, so what we're going look to look at is, okay, this is a bedroom community. This is what we need. We need more two bedrooms. We need more three bedrooms. We're trying to keep the community intact. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that bedroom mix and the level of affordability. The other thing is a lot of, you know, neighborhoods are transitioning very quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, in a three-year span, you'll see, neighborhoods really change and the values change and we need to preserve a level of affordability in these transitional neighborhoods. If you're just tuning in, this is an interview with Angel Rodriguez, who is the Senior Vice President of Land Services at PHDC and the Executive Director of the Philadelphia Land Bank. We're talking about how to acquire city-owned property. Thanks for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying our discussion. Gotcha. Great. Um, so, so depending on what option you're choosing you know, or which route works best for you, competitive or non-competitive, do you apply at the same place? Is there two spots where you apply or you reference the application a little bit? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you can kind of give people the, the directions to, to where, you know, that, now that they sure. can understand what type of application they're submitting, how do they actually submit it? 
Sure. So when you want to submit, you want to go to uh, PhDC, phila, P-H-I-L-A dot org backslash land back um, backslash by land by B-U-Y hyphen L-A-N-D. All right. When you land on this page, you're going to see all the options that I talked about. So you're going to see side yards, community gardens, uh, proposed affordable housing, land for business expansion, assemblage, and community use. And also, if you want to, um, you know, so these are all non-competitive applications. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to do that, you would, you know, click the hyperlink on either whatever box you want to do. Um, and then it walks you through um, how to get to um, an application. So you can download the application and financial worksheet online, and the instructions are part of it. Uh, the application is a fillable PDF. Um, for those of you who are thinking about side and rear yards, there is a screener. So you have to answer certain screener questions like, are you up on your taxes? Do you live in the property? Is your name on the deed? Um, and also there's a, a GIS map. All of these links will lead you to a GIS map as well that will allow you to do your research to see if the property is owned and available. Now, the reason why I bring up owned and available, not all of the properties that we have in our inventory are available for sale. Um, we have areas that are designated only for affordable housing where we will not accept applications for side yards or community gardens, mainly because we're trying to preserve affordable housing. It does take a lot longer to get those, you know, get that capital stack together or to, to actually get that type of project up and running. Right. Other areas, go ahead. Before we move on, I just want to tell everybody, I put the link to, to that buy land page in chat so everybody can check it out and kind of follow along as Angel's um, explaining through here. Thank you. Yeah, and you mentioned the GIS service. Is it is it Atlas that it directs you to, or is it uh, something else? No, it's a GIS. Uh, we have our own GIS map that we identify. It's tied to our um, database of owned and available properties. Um, when you go to it, it does have a hyperlink in that. When you select a property, uh, a pop-up will show. And if you want more info, that will take you to Atlas. Gotcha. Uh, and then on Atlas, I'm assuming that in your curriculum, you covered this. Mm -hmm. There's a wealth of information there. It's like who owns the property? When was it sold? More importantly, deeds, you know, any L&I violations. Great. Um, so and those types of things. So will you be able, but there's no information about um, whether the property is to sale through the land bank on Atlas, right? So people shouldn't be looking there for that? Or uh, On Atlas, it'll, t it'll show ownership. So yeah. if the land bank... So if the land bank, the redevelopment authority or city of Philadelphia owns it or PHDC, um, you, if you want to purchase it, you're coming to this website. Got so it. this website manages anything that's owned and available um, for uh, all publicly held properties from those four agencies. Great. So I, I, sorry, I interrupted you, but I think you left okay. on that you're choosing which, which type of um, this. this so once you do that and you go through the screener questions, you identify it, um, what you're going to do is you're going to submit, you're going to fill out an application. Um, word of advice, I, I cannot tell you how many 
people think they're submitting an application and forget to upload the PDF file and the, um, you're laughing, but it's, it's people get very upset. I'm laughing because we also get loan up a lot of loan applications and it's the same sort of problem. It's like, the, right. What you want to do is make sure that the, the actual application. Right. So we'll get the, the contact information, but they forget to upload the application. So just a reminder to everybody, you need to upload the actual application, all of the attachments that are required, and we need the financial worksheet. You also have to make sure that you signed everything in the application. There are at least five or six areas where you have to sign for us to consider that a completed application. So let's jump forward. Say you did all that, you uploaded the application. Um, under the statute and legislation, we have 120 days to, to, to um, uh, get through the applications. During, because of the COVID pandemic, um, these, uh, there's a legal memorandum on our website that talks about the, the timelines are told because there's an, we're, we're operating under an emergency order from the governor. Um, what that means is that these timelines are, are not really in effect only because I have to have my staff operating from home and from the office. Um, we ha I have them coming in and coming out. Um, it, it's, it's rather difficult, um, obviously, as you can understand with security with servers and uh, there's a lot of sensitive information. So it does create a problem for us in terms of how quick we can process applications um, and the volume that we get. So let's assume you selected your property, you put your property in, uh, you, you give it to us. We do um, two forms of reviews. We do a threshold review which is basically we're making sure that it's a complete um, application and that we can consider the applicant a qualified applicant. A qualified applicant is a person who doesn't owe the city any back taxes, is up on all their obligations and there are no issues. We can get a clean tax certification. Um, also for other developers who may have other entities that do business in Philadelphia, all of the businesses that you own and all of the properties that you own have to be current on their taxes and obligations. So if you owe the water, water or something like that, we can't do business with you. So it really makes sense. You have to have to make sure you're complete. The so, next thing, we, so go ahead. You just ask you a situation that, you know, somebody say somebody submits the application and it gets to that stage and then you let them know, Hey, sorry, you're, you didn't pay this bill or didn't pay this tax. Um, do they have to wait and then submit a new application or do you keep that on file until the problem is resolved or? No, we actually, we close that application out. They have to resubmit. Gotcha. Um, so because, all right, while revenue is a city app, a city agency, I have no authority over there. That's private information. They will not tell me all I get, all I'm told and my staff are told are that this person's not tax compliant. So once that happens, it's incumbent on the applicant to go and deal with that with the revenue department. I just had a meeting today with um, some very seasoned developers who for four months have not gotten uh, a clearance, even though can, they can prove they, they, they paid everything. <laughs> They're just not getting the response. And without that response from revenue, I can't move forward. Sure. So 
So it sounds Typically. Like, it sounds like the heat on the side of caution, you know, it's, it's rather than right. to get the application three over times, it's make sure everything's right the first time you do it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also one thing I'd like to point out, if you plan on as a developer to create a new entity, you can create that new entity, will dispose to the new entity as long as the entity is going to get a clean taxer. Typically what developers will forget to do is register the, pro the new entity with the revenue department. So what I get is, well, it's a new entity. How does it owe taxes? It doesn't. But the revenue department, if they think you don't exist or you're not in their database, database they assume you're tax delinquent. Right. So I always caution people, if you're going to create a new company, um, make sure you file it and register it with the revenue department. Okay. So after we do that review, um, we actually, like for developments, we actually score it. Um, and that's in the new legislation. So we have a scoring criteria that's in the legislation. That's also in the um, disposition policy for 2020. Um, it's on the website and you can download it. Um, I suggest everybody do that. Uh, we will score it. You have to score over 65 points um, for, for it to move forward. Uh, once it's moved forward, we will draft a what's called a purchase development agreement for the redevelopment authority. It's called a redevelopers agreement because they're governed under urban renewal law. That is presented to the developer or the applicant. And they have 30 days, 30 to 45 days, 45 days is for the, um, for nonprofits. Cause sometimes uh, most times if a nonprofit has to execute the PDA, they need a board resolution so we give them extra time. Uh, for LLCs, individuals, and all that, you have 30 days. Um, you have to uh, respond in 30 days. And if you can't respond in 30 days, say you're going back and forth with your attorney or you have some questions and things like that, you have to request um, an extension. If it's day 30 and you're telling me, oh, I need another 30 days, we're gonna terminate the agreement. Um, so you have to be very, uh, you know, we're looking for a response. If we get to the point where we're giving you this agreement, please do, do your due diligence, respond, and we'll get back and forth. Uh, we do offer extensions, but again, that's predicated on communication. Um, the applicant has to sign the, uh, the uh, it's not fully executed, but they sign it once it's signed. Um, we will then um, take it to the next available board meeting that, and the board meetings are whichever, you know, like who holds title. So land bank owned properties go to the land bank, um, city owned properties. And this is what's interesting, actually get uh, presented at the redevelopment authorities board meeting, mm -hmm. um, but it's approved by the commissioner. Um, PRA properties obviously um, go to PRA's board. There is an additional step with redevelopment authority. Um, if it's in an urban renewal area, model cities area, area, or any area in the city that's covered under a blight certification, it has to go to the planning commission first. And the planning commission would have to approve it. And that's for side yards as well. Um, has to approve it, and then it goes to the redevelopment authority board. So there's an added step. Um, let's assume that the board 
approves approves it, um, then we will send it to city council for approval. City council has 60 days basically to introduce the legislation. They don't have to. I, I just want to put that out there. Um, they, they, you know, we'll send it to them. We'll have conversation with the staff. We're saying we're recommending this, this project. Um, but if council does not submit the resolution within 60 days under the new legislation, um, we would terminate the agreement. So just so I can clarify for everybody, it's state law that state, well, you know, local municipalities have to approve the disposition of publicly held land. It's not unique to Philadelphia. That's, that's across any county. They have to approve it. Um, so without that approval, I cannot sell a parcel of land. All right. Um, so one of the, you know, in terms of business management, you really want to have a uh, strong relationship with your local council person. Uh, after that, uh, after city council approval, I sign the agreement and then it's fully executed. Um, from there, we move towards settlement. Uh, with settlement, you know, title reports are pulled. Uh, we clear title. Um, usually we are obligated to provide free and clear title. Um, typically, and we're working this out with the revenue department, sometimes what holds up settlement is we'll get a title report. And the water department's assessing, you know, storm water fees that they're not supposed to. Right. Uh, so we have to clear that up. And sometimes we'll have it cleared one month. Title company's not ready to go. We get assessed with another. So mm -hmm. I've had situations where I've had to clear them three times. Mm -hmm. um, it's really frustrating. We're working with the water department to make sure that we don't get that. Uh, but this is part of that interagency piece that will take, uh, take a little bit longer. The other thing is, um, when I had mentioned, once the person signs the, once the applicant signs the redevelopment agreement, if you need to get to zoning because you're getting a variance in inlets, I'm assuming you covered this also in your classes that most of Philadelphia are made up of non-conforming lots. So the planning commission in the, in the zoning code, a buildable lot is 1,440 4, 1, square feet. Most lots in Philadelphia on small streets are about 750, 850. So if you're going to build on that lot, you have to go to zoning and get a variance for, you know, mm -hmm. just because that usually depends, could add four to six months on your application. Right. So typically once you've agreed to the purchase development agreement, we'll give you a letter that allows you to go pull your building permits We'll allow you to go to zoning and put your zoning application in. We will work with you and get you a license agreement so that you can do your geotech, which just so everybody's aware, geotech is required for all building permits. If it's a large scale development, it's a requirement, especially because you're going to have to deal with the water department. Um, if you're doing any kind of you know development, like say five to 10 parcels, let's say 10 parcels are bigger probably. Um, depending on land mass, you know, so we'll, we'll allow you to do that. So it doesn't hold you up. And then once we go to settlement, uh, typically we give 18 months for construction. Uh, you will be monitored. Uh, we will have uh, inspectors that go out periodically. Um, we do site visits, um, more than happy to go visit. I visit a lot of developers. 
uh, and their projects. It's really interesting to see how they're, you know, what they're coming up with. Um, and then once you're done, uh, we issue a certificate of completion. Uh, that would be, that is separate and apart from your certificate of occupancy. Certificate of occupancy is given by the um, LNI department. Um, the certificate of uh, completion, just so, just to put it in the right context for everybody, that means you've met all the obligations under our development agreement. Um, so the development agreement, when we go to settlement, we, we, we record the deed and the deed will typically have a restriction, which is either for affordability or whatever. And we also record the development agreement. Mm -hmm. So you're going to need that certificate of completion so that, you know, for financing um, and, and everything. So we'll work with you on that as well. And then at that point, it's a uh, project closeout. Um, on affordable projects, there is a minimum limit of 15 years of affordability that we put in in terms of a declaration of um, a, a, a covenant that we'll, we'll put on the property. So that's it in a nutshell. Great. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a big <laughs> um, Okay. No, that, that was great. And you, you really covered a lot. And, and we have a, another minute or two before we're going to move into Q&A here. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned earlier that the seemingly obvious um, common mistake on, on applications is not uploading the actual application or not attaching something you're required to. Uh, right. Any other quick tips or tricks you can give people for their applications, something that'll make your life easier or your staff's life easier? Or, and in turn, you know, the developer's life easier. <laughs> Uh, we actually spend a lot of time on the application. The application has a checklist. Yeah. Go through the checklist. Right. So uh, a lot of times what I'll tell people is that, you know, I'm a former contractor. I'm, I've worked in nonprofits. You know, I wrote a lot of grants. You know, grant writing, this is a, like grant writing or business plan writing. Mm -hmm. It's a skill. It's a separate skill from being able to manage a job, you know, a job site. It's a different skill from doing finance or budget budgeting. You really have to understand how to package an application and not miss anything. Um, so typically what I tell people to do is read the application 10 times. Great. And then after you're done, read your application. Don't be in such a fire, all fired rush to put it in. Um, I mean, you have time if you, you know, as long as it's not an RFP, um, just, get it done, do a once over, walk away, and then pick it up the next day and go through it and make sure you're checking everything off and please make sure you, you sign everything. That concludes my conversation with Angel Rodriguez from PHDC about how to acquire city-owned property. I hope you learned a little bit more about positive real estate development. Next week, I'll be discussing the Conservatorship Act with Richard Vanderslice, an attorney, and how it applies to real estate developers. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, visit gojumpstart.org to see our how-to guide and, and our open source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. 
and be sure to tune in next week.